Well, good morning and welcome to another special episode of the Golden Beach Podcast. This one is Good Friday. Good Friday, the uh, Friday of Holy Week. This is the day that we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I'm going to begin with just a, a couple words of scripture from yesterday's message, just to kind of recap what happened on Monday Thursday, which is following the Last Supper. This is from John 13, 31, and going into uh, chapter 18. So starting at verse 31, When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So again, this is around the table where this Last Supper took place. And this is a the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples and it's, it really plays into uh, the importance here in just a few moments, you'll see. So reading from chapter 14, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered with these familiar words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 15 here where Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. And he's already shared this new commandment to love one another. But he says, If you love me, you keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Jumping ahead to verse 25, he says, All this I have spoken still while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now this is really important because at this point, the, the, the disciples weren't quite sure what he meant by he was going away. Now, Jesus often withdrew on his own and, and would spend time in prayer and fasting. But obviously, we know now that he meant that he was going to leave earth 
and he was going to heaven to prepare a place for us to join him there. But his work on earth isn't done. He had already commanded disciples to continue his work. In fact, he will come back um, and later and appear to them after his death and resurrection. And he will tell them this new commandment, this great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. But he, he knows that his work here isn't done and that the disciples still need that kind of help. And that's why he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask my father. I'm going to ask God to send an advocate, this Holy Spirit, which will remain with you. Now, this is a lot for these guys to take. And, and I'm skipping ahead to verse 12. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And Jesus goes on to, to comfort his disciples even further. He says, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean in a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. But Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. I love that. And, and, and we as, as Christians know that where he went and, and what he's doing now, and that he did appear back to them, and he still is among us and still working as an advocate with his Father on our behalf. We know this to be true. And so this Good Friday, where he is crucified, and we'll be reading about that in a minute, where he is punished for made-up uh, crimes on earth, but really he's being punished for our sins to the point of, of losing or giving up his own life. That's what's good. I, I saw a, a kind of a little cartoon, and it, it was a couple gentlemen speaking, and one said, why do you call it Good Friday? And the other one said, well, what if you were charged with this horrible crime, but someone volunteered? to take the punishment for you so that you could just have a clean slate. Wouldn't that be good? And then the first man said, yeah, that would be good. That's the message of Good Friday. Skipping ahead to, to verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
this is such a powerful, comforting verse. I want to encourage you to keep this in your in your arsenal for when you have a down day. Not only does it say, in this world, you will have trouble. He promises there will be trouble, but he says, take heart. You know, be courageous, be strong, be encouraged, be comforted. He says, because I have overcome the world. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And after this, Jesus prayed for his disciples. I love this, but if you go on a little further, and that, and that starts in verse 6, but if you go down to verse 20, and again, we're still in the, the book of John here. If you go down to verse 20, he prays for all believers. Now, this is you. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning not just the disciples. And he's talking to God the Father. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and they may be as one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as even as you have loved me. I want to pause here for a second. He's praying for complete unity in the spirit. We have one father. We have one sal- you know, savior that came to to give us a a pathway to salvation. And that's what unifies us. No matter what else happens in the world and society, we have one thing in common. And whether you believe God is the creator or Jesus is the savior does not take away those two facts. But Jesus continues this prayer in verse 24. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. I love this. Jesus is saying, Dad, I want them to be with me where I am, and that's with you. That's a powerful prayer. That's a prayer I want answered. And in verse 25, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And it's at this point when he finishes prayer that they left and Jesus was arrested. Now we know that it was Judas that that betrayed him. And we know that he did this for, for money. And as they came and arrested him, a couple things happened. And if you recall, Peter said, Jesus, I would lay my life down for you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Now, what a hard thing that would be here for Peter to, to hear and believe. You know, we, we would say that ourselves. There's no way I would deny Christ. But let's watch what happens. Starting at verse 15 of 
8th chapter. So Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples, too, are you? They asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also standing with him, warming himself. So did you hear that? Peter denied Jesus right there. I am not with him. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely that they know what I said. Then Jesus said this. One of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. Now that's number two. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Now how horrifying that must feel for Peter. But we also know that Peter was given that name, Peter, which means rock, from Jesus who said, Peter, you are a rock. On this rock, I will build the church. So we know that he goes on to great things. And just like so many characters in the Bible, so many people that we read about and study, we have times in our life and we've made decisions and maybe we have a little bit of a checkered past or maybe we're on a great path and we get a little sideways. I mean, here's Peter who who Jesus said, I'll build my church on you. Your faith is so strong. But in the midst of this, he denied Jesus three times only to save his own skin. But we also know that Jesus remained with him and the Holy Spirit remained with him and he went on to do great things. Now let's go back and and look at John 18, starting at verse 28, when Jesus is before Pilate. It says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the king, the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. 
What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Verse 19, or book uh, chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now it's really important to understand what flogging is. It is an incredibly graphic and violent punishment. Uh, lead balls on leather straps, pieces of bone fragments. They weren't just intended to bruise, but to cut and tear away flesh. If you've had an opportunity to see the movie The Passion of the Christ, it really captures it in all of its graphic detail. So Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Now we know that one of the other um, disciples captured in gospel that, that Pilate actually washed his hands to, to say that I have no part of this. Now, we often ask ourselves, does that relieve us of responsibility just when we say I have no responsibility? So we're going to start now at Mark 15, verse 16. Just going to have a few more things to read here along the story of Good Friday. The soldiers led Jesus away to that place, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers they put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when he had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. 
A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, saying, He saved others. They said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Now this is curious. You have to wonder, why did Jesus not come down off that cross? Why did he not command his angel army against them? And this takes me back to, to the story of Ash Wednesday. When Jesus was baptized and, and he went into the, the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted, to be tested. And these are very similar things to what Satan tempted Jesus with. You know, he said, jump off this cliff because scripture says that the angel will not allow you to strike your foot on a stone. You know, Satan knew scripture and Jesus knew it and, and spit it right back at him. You know, you will not test God. You know, and he said, you know, prove this, prove this. And this is the same kind of stuff. People said, prove it. But but Jesus at this point, having prayed in the garden, it was revealed to him. We know from scripture, it was revealed to him what was going to happen and why it must happen. This is all to fulfill the prophecy of who he was, who he is. And it, of course, he didn't want to go through this horrible beating and, and the shaming and the pain and the loss of life and that is why jesus said in his own words father take this cup from me you know i don't want to go through this but then he does the right thing the prayer that's so hard for us to do which is to change that and say but your will not mine be done now, all the scriptures I'm reading for this message come from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are three disciples that were with him, that were there. These are eyewitness accounts. And as I shift now to read that about the death of Jesus on the cross, I'm going to read from a couple of these accounts. And then I'm going to conclude with something a little special. So I want to encourage you to hang in there. From Matthew 27, starting at verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain on the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died there were raised to life, and they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many people. 
When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Now Luke's account from Luke 23, 44-49 says, It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. And all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. In the last account from John nineteen twenty-eight through 37 says later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a staff of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So I want to just stop here for a moment and, and tell you that the, it is finished is actually the word to telestai. And that is a very unique word because it is described as a perfect verb. Now, perfect verb isn't just an action, but it's an ongoing, continual action. To telestai doesn't mean it is finished once and forever done. To telestai means it is finished and it is being finished over and over and over. It's continually being finished. And you know that Jesus Christ didn't just finish it at that moment. It was now, from that point on until forever, that his work, his work that needed to be done, his his sacrifice of taking the sins of the world on his shoulders wasn't for everybody gathered at his feet. It was there for everybody for all time. So I'm going to go ahead and look at Matthew 27, 62 to 66. And this is important because this plays into something we'll talk about on Sunday. It says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remembered while we were still alive that that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he had been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now this is important because it becomes the basis for the miracle of what happens in a few days. Friends, I know this was a lot of reading and I certainly want to encourage you to open the Bible and read for yourself the accounts of Jesus' life, his teaching, his sacrifice, his death. Never let anybody do all the reading for you. Open it up and ask God to say, reveal to me what you want me to hear. Maybe some of these stories you've heard a hundred times, maybe you haven't, maybe you heard something new for the first time. But I, you need to understand what all happened on this day and what makes it good is what it accomplished. So would you pray with me? Father God, on this Good Friday, it was not good for Jesus. 
It was certainly not good for you, but it was good for mankind because the weight of the world, all of our sins were put into the form of iron nails driven into the hands and the feet of the one you love. Father God, let Jesus' teachings never be lost on us. Let the power of this moment never be lost because if it weren't for the power of the cross, the symbol that was supposed to be a symbol of shame to those that were punished and killed this way became a symbol of unity, a symbol of strength for generations. Father God, we thank you for that wonderful gift. We are sorry for everything that we have done and continue to do and will ever do that becomes those nails but thank you for creating that pathway to salvation. Thank you for sending your son and thank you for calling him back where he's up there preparing a place, interceding on our behalf and, and anxiously awaiting us to join him in heaven. Father God, as we solemnly prepare for Easter Sunday, if this were a, a church service, we would either have taken down all the, the decorations in the sanctuary or we would cover them with a black cloth to symbolize the sorrow of this loss. But in two days, on Resurrection Sunday, all that will be renewed. The sanctuary will be decorated in white. There will be no crimson stain from blood, no black stains from sin it will strictly be pure white pure and holy and we thank you that you made that possible amen i want to introduce a song to you maybe you've heard it it's been a while since it had been produced but it's a song called why it's by a christian um, artist named nicole nordeman and she sings the story from the perspective of a child watching Jesus come into town and being crucified. And listen to the words very closely of the song as this girl sings it. And at the end, the words become Jesus' own words, asking questions of the Father. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it has meaning for you. God bless you all. And please, please, please remember the power of this day. God be with you. Amen.
Tell you. 